This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I have a familiar returning guest to our AmbiCast, Chrissy Neiser, the administrator of the Maryland Motor Vehicle Administration. Chrissy, welcome back. Hi, Ian. It's great to be with you again. And uh, this time, though, we're talking about something very specific because Maryland is this year's recipient of the Trailblazer Award, uh, which is a big deal. You know, in our awards program, all of our awards are prestigious and well-earned. Trailblazer is unique in that there is only one award given every year. There's no, it's not regional winners, international winner. It's just one award for a jurisdiction that's done a project that really breaks barriers above and beyond. And you're receiving it this year for your modernization project called Customer Connect. Well, thank you. Yeah, really proud to receive this AMVA award. Proud of the whole team. I'd love to have them all here talking about it because, as anybody knows, doing this kind of large-scale IT modernization project, and frankly, more than just IT modernization, it was about changing the culture of the organization Mm -hmm. along with it. Um, It doesn't happen with one person. It really is a whole team working together, understanding the vision, and then really executing it. And I'm sure we'll get into it more, but we did it during the pandemic, which probably would not have been my choice. Right, nor nor the original (laughs) plan. Plan, I would exactly. Suppose. That's right. And I think one of the things that's interesting is you say it's it was more than a modernization project, which I think is one of the things that's unique about it is that it started as a modernization project, referred to as a modernization project, but this was so much more than just modernizing the platforms and the technology. You've shifted the way you think about your information and you've shifted the way you're interacting with your customer because of it. And I I know this firsthand, being one of your customers, of course. (laughs) That's right. Was that always the intent at the outset, though? Or did it start as we have to update the platforms and then it grew organically? Or was there a conscious decision at the start to say, we need to really look at this entire thing with fresh eyes? So like many states, you know, we were on an old mainframe platform, old IBM system. And so, frankly, modernization has been in the vocabulary since I came Mm -hmm. to MBA 17 years ago, frankly. So it really did start as the idea of we need more updated computer systems. Mm -hmm. Um, During various budget crises, we lost funding and, you know, there were challenges in moving forward. And so, you know, there was kind of a pivot point where we stepped back Mm -hmm. shortly after I became administrator and said, what are we really trying to accomplish here? Mm -hmm. What is the goal. And this idea of premier customer service came to be um, our kind of vision for what we wanted to achieve. And we started thinking about the IT system as simply a tool to achieve mm-hmm. the end as opposed to the end in itself. And I think that was the real shift. Um, over time, we've changed the organization. Structurally, it looks different um, because, frankly, we are a different organization now in, in terms of what our focus is, um, really being a customer-driven organization and embedding that throughout the organization, but also creating um, Um, teams that they focus on that all day long and and try to really make sure that all of our efforts are really intentional in that way. Mm -hmm. So the project, you said, you know, it'd been around 17 years to start talking about it. You become administrator in 2000... Six. 2006. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be Um, eight years. Eight years this month. Yeah. Okay. So, um, 
2016, you become an administrator and it's an opportunity to say, let's take a look at this project and think about really how we want to do it. Uh, and, and remember at that time, not to interrupt, but the yeah. IT modernization projects were struggling, if you oh, remember, yes. right? There were some failed projects, a lot of money spent, and then folks had to reevaluate. And that was part of what we were thinking, yeah. too, right? Looks like there's not a lot of success here. How do we, if we're getting the money for it, finally, yep. Yep. how do we ensure we can move forward in a real successful way? Right. And so you have a team already in place at that point, or you're building a team to run this to run this project? So we built a team. Um, we actually brought in a math tech to help us think through what do we really want mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Um, and so they did a ton of sessions with our employees to, one, dispel the myth that this really is going to happen because it was out there that we've been talking about so long. Is it ever really going to oh, occur yeah. to get the employee buy-in? Yeah, they're buy never going to really do this. That's yeah. right. So employee buy-in was a huge component. Also, just trying to get folks to stop focus on writing requirements in a very detailed way mm. which were great doing motor vehicle uh, agencies but instead focus on what are we trying to accomplish and let the vendors tell us how to get there but have the vision for what we actually mm. want things to look like going forward and so that was a real shift for our team um, you know, we created an actual we called foundation team. We brought people together from all throughout the organization mm -hmm. so that it would be reflective of the agency. Um, and this became their full-time job. They worked on the project. And that happened during, actually, the RFP process. So it started pretty okay. early on. Unfortunately, um, it took a little longer to get the contract in place as it normally does and we yeah. would want. Um, and so that group really became experts in terms of, you know, what the requirements were and how we were going to move forward with the project. Some of the members changed throughout obviously have that yeah. happen um, but that was really the core team that worked on the effort and um, then that expanded obviously once we began we brought in folks from throughout the organization to work on training to work on testing um, really we tried to make it a whole agency effort um, because anytime you're doing this kind of wide-scale change you really need one you need to be mm -hmm. reflective of what um, the needs are but two you need that buy-in again yeah. to make sure people are on board with where you're going so you're doing this 2016 17 maybe 18 you're always planning to kick it off around the 1920 time period and then of course the world changes that's right and actually we made a um what became a pivotal decision, um, we were originally supposed to do a very small implementation of a business licensing system just to do a proof of concept kind of thing. And at the time, I thought, having been through the process of, of losing money, well, if we only show benefit to a small group of folks, how do we make sure that if something happens again, we're not in the same situation where we wind up losing support? So what we did is we combined business licensing with our vehicles um, deployment, and that was a, a pretty huge mm -hmm. bite to chunk uh, to or chunk to bite the off the entire once. vehicle side of the, the entire vehicle side of the system along with our business licensing aspect um, so we worked with a vendor to make that change and I think in hindsight it was pivotal because mm -hmm. if we had already implemented or had been around the time of implementing you know this small piece of it and you know COVID happens and budget mm -hmm. issues mm -hmm. and just the general challenges it, we would have been in a much different situation um, as it was we were scheduled to deploy that vehicle business licensing piece in uh, May over the Memorial Day weekend of 2020. Okay. Um, obviously, everybody knows the world was a uncertain yeah. and, um, yeah. frankly, scary place at that yeah. at that point. Really yeah. um, we had contractual agreements to deploy, mm -hmm. um, but we had to push back, obviously. We just could 
couldn't get the testing done to the extent we needed and we couldn't get the training done. Sure. So we pivoted to a remote training environment, which was new to do 100% remote training, definitely some lessons learned there. Um, and then we wound up deploying in July, so a few months after, but still, I mean, Only considering months, the circumstances. Considering the delays yeah. that other folks during the pandemic, that's pretty extraordinary to be able to pivot and still do it remotely. Mm -hmm. Did it require, I mean, I'd imagine though that that might've required in the context of those early months of COVID to bring people back physically maybe sooner than you otherwise would have, or maybe than they weren't ready to, but you had no choice to because this project had to march forward. Certainly did. I mean, we as a state and overseas was a little bit different. So um, we always had folks in the building, um, keeping operations moving. But uh, to the volume, yes, we had right. to bring back folks for the project specifically, um, and certainly had to look at you know testing rooms, which tend to be close quarters, right, and even right, training. Right. Like I said, yeah, having to do that remotely. into a room and yeah. Exactly. So um, it was a whole different way of looking at it. Um, like I said, a lot of lessons learned. Yeah. And um, but we rolled out successfully. Sure. Were there some hiccups, frankly, because we probably couldn't test as much as we mm. would have liked to and probably would have uncovered some of those things afterwards. Um, the other big challenge, frankly, we were an old mainframe system that didn't have a lot of business rules. And we went to a you know, web-based system that um, had built into it Embedus and you know, all these mm. rules that said if it doesn't meet certain parameters, then we're not going to accept the work. Um, so that was a challenge not only for our agents to learn all the new business rules in the system, although yeah. the system walked them through. Um, it was also a challenge for our partners, so our dealers and our tag and titles mm. and as you can imagine, that was also a challenging time for them right. just to deal with um, their customers. Obviously, other or things were priority at the time. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so they didn't have a lot of customers. So, um, again, just the thing I think all of us learn on modernizations is over communication. You, you can't communicate enough. Yep. Um, and that certainly was a lesson we took into our phase two rollout, which was our driver licensing system. So, the, so let's talk more about that, the lessons you learned from phase one that changed the way that you did phase two, that maybe you had original, an original plan for driver licensing, mm -hmm. but you went back and said, okay, what went as planned, what didn't go as planned with the vehicle, and how are we going to adjust our strategy now with drivers because of it? Yeah, I think we had three pages of those lessons learned because <laughs> um, we really wanted to document it um, for the next phase, right, to do yeah. things better. And that was, frankly, an honest conversation we had with the staff. Look, we haven't done a project of this size and mm -hmm. scope probably ever. Right. And so um, we learned a lot and we committed to making those changes going forward. Um, one of the things that I think was really helpful is we would take chunks of the system out in the branch offices here at headquarters mm -hmm. and show it to the team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that agile approach obviously um, wasn't fully baked. So it took a little while for folks to understand, don't expect to see a full system. Yeah. But um, really allowed us to, to capture that feedback in mid-development, which yep. I think was incredibly helpful. It was taxing, I mean, frankly, on the IT team as well as, um, uh, you know, the project staff. But I think 100% was something that um, we uh, think made a big difference. And, in fact, we increased it with rollout, too, and certainly with the conditions improving. That was really helpful. Um, you know, I mentioned the communications piece. One thing that we learned, I actually was the project sponsor for Rollout 2, and um, 
it became apparent that the level of engagement I needed to have with the project was even greater than phase one, which I thought I was really engaged right. in attending a lot of the meetings. But, um, you know, I'd say almost half of my time when I looked at meetings and other things was really devoted to um, whether it was the changes that were happening with the IT system or the cultural changes. And I think in the message I give to other folks who are going through the processes, that buy-in from leadership, not just the top person, but the entire leadership team. My folks spent, you know, tons of time in meetings, having conversations, showing up in the testing room. Mm. We would go there once a week, we would talk to the testers, because guess what? We'd always hear something that wasn't being reported back, even no matter how many check-in meetings you did. Um, Creating that environment where folks felt empowered as the ambassadors and would Mm -hmm. take that back to their office so that folks um, saw this not as something that was being imposed on them, but something that they Mm -hmm. were a part of and wanted to champion. Um, Really making sure that the whys were being explained Mm -hmm. and it wasn't just, here's all these changes that are being made. Making sure you document all your policy changes. Everybody's like, this is a great opportunity to make all those changes we've always wanted to to make. Um, But if you don't document them, nobody knows about it. So what happens when you go live? They report back that the system's not working. When in reality, you wanted to change the way the system worked. You just didn't document it and inform people about the process. So we started a... um, We had calls with managers and supervisors every day as we'd roll out changes, but then we started documenting that in a more formal way, and we'd send out bulletins to the entire team. Anybody that touched the system um, would get updates, and still to this day gets updates anytime changes are made. Um, So again, I think communication, it comes back to um, making sure everybody is on the same page and pulling forward. It's unusual that someone in your role would be the project sponsor for a project like this certainly there's executive yeah so you were told (laughs) both by the internal team and external team yes exactly exactly um that was probably a very conscious decision on your part to say i want to play this role in this project as opposed to it just being reported up to me Mm -hmm. you know what what was i'm sure you learned benefits of having made that choice once you were in it but you didn't know that going into it. So what was it about the project even early on that said, you know, this is one that I maybe need to be a little bit deeper in than maybe someone in my role would traditionally be in? You know what, after we rolled out the first phase, we had to roll a lot of things back or modify things. And it just seemed like there was a lot of time wasted. Mm -hmm. First of all, you had folks that had built requirements in, then we're taking additional time that could have been done, frankly, in doing enhancements. And we're pulling things out or tweaking things mm-hmm. and it just felt like there were some missed opportunities mm-hmm. that it really needed to be um, engagement and in, in just a different way yeah. right and so I knew it was going to be incredibly time consuming but I also I think what resonated with me we've never gotten this type of capital investment in this organization. Mm. You know, it's my responsibility as a head of this organization to make sure it's successful. I mean, what a missed opportunity if not, right? I mean, I don't know when the next time is that we're gonna get, you know, close to $90 million. Like that's a huge commitment by the governor and the legislature to say, we trust you to be able to implement this well. Um, And so I think we all felt the responsibility of that. So as other, as your colleagues are listening to this conversation and they might be in the midst or starting or, you know, looking at the next one and thinking as a chief executive, as an administrator, what role should I play? You know, what would be your advice in terms of that balance of project sponsor and executive oversight to your peers and say, you know, whether you should or shouldn't consider it. And if you do, 
this is really what you got to keep in mind going into it, playing that role. Yeah, it's a good point. And, I, and what I want to emphasize is I was I saw myself as driving the project, not micromanaging it. There was a project manager who was doing that day to day. Folks have to know that they are still empowered to make decisions. Mm-hmm. I think that's the important balance. But making sure that driving force was there, making sure when their policy changes made, that mm-hmm. sign off at the executive level, like everybody's fully vetted this and we're all on board was mm-hmm. there. Um, so that's what I'd say the balance is. Don't get too far in the weeds because yeah. That is, you know, it's tempting. Sure. We all are tempted by that. Um, but keeping that big picture and making sure it's moving in the right direction and making sure, you know, at the end of the day, is this going to look like and feel like what we want mm-hmm. to accomplish? Yeah. So when does, you know, a lot of the modernization projects talks a lot about how the interface uh, behind the counter changes. You talk about going out and showing it to the, the mm-hmm. staff and the testing. Uh, when does the vision to changing the public facing side, you know, come into part of the project and say it's not only about the systems we're using and how the agents are interacting with it, but it is for every Maryland customer, it's gonna change the way they interact with us, not just how we process their stuff. Yeah, and really that um, customer-centric approach was part of the vision from the beginning. So when we talked about premier customer service, it really was how do we make it a seamless experience for the customer? You know, Mm -hmm. no matter how they choose to interact with us, no matter um, what that transaction looks like, how can we make that the most efficient and seamless experience that it could possibly be? And so that's what drove us. We know we wanted to have a, a customer account that really provided mm-hmm. that 24-7 access. We knew we wanted agents to be empowered similarly with information, you know, silo systems in the past, not right. even seeing vehicle information if you're doing a driver license transaction. Um, and so it really was about empowering the customer, empowering the agent. How do we make sure that um, they've got all the information they need to make the decision? Um, I will say that's a culture shift, and yeah. just because people have information doesn't mean they feel empowered to use it. Oh, interesting. It took us some time to get past that because, um, you know, some of the agents still wanted to ask permission for something, even though they could see yeah, right, the data yeah. in their system, but they weren't used to exercising that muscle, so to speak. And so um, really making sure folks know, you know, you don't need to send this back to headquarters for permission. This is something that because you now have access to the right, right. data, you Go can make that determination yourself. Exactly. Yes. And how is the... Uh, well, let's start with the employee feedback and reaction. You talked a little bit about going out and testing it, the training of them. Now you're post that, you're in implementation. Mm-hmm. Acceptance, excitement, frustration, still gripes, all the above. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I'd say that um, our staff in the field loved it from the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Um, it makes it so much easier, especially we had a web-based system for our driver licensing system, but not for our vehicles. And so building okay. the business rules in, you know, it's green if you can move forward, it's red if you can, if you've forgotten, you know, just yeah. Making it as simplistic as you can, even though our transactions are complex, um, has really helped. It's helped with new employees. It's helped with training. All of those pieces become easier. Still complex, but easier. Um, Initially, I will say some of the folks at headquarters who had access to everything and could do everything, some of the security pieces we put in place and, you know, some of the additional checks in terms of data and, you know, not being able to just go in and and, um, completely rewrite a record when you needed to because that was an easy way to do it. 
but maybe not from a security um, standpoint the best thing to do. There was a little bit of angst um, in that, but I think everybody at this point um, really can see the benefit of where we are. And, you know, it's changed the nature of what it even feels like in a branch office. Um, You know, our wait times are just at a level that, frankly, they've never been historically. Um, the experience of the customer, you know, is unlike it's been previously um, from an efficiency and being in and out of the branch office. And so um, the number of transactions that can be done online as well that the customer doesn't even need to come here. So I think the results have pro- proven great benefits yeah. from an employee perspective. And the other thing I, I always mention is because we are more efficient, now we do have all appointments, and so I will put that caveat, but the, sys- you know, the processing within the system has become more efficient. Our employees aren't in branch offices, you know, till late in the night because they're serving customers who arrived during the period that we were open. So they've gotten back quality of life. Mm. That's not something you can put a price tag on, right? I can't tell you the number of employees that are just grateful that they get to go home and go to that soccer game. That's right. They can leave. They have more, uh, you know, standard times in terms of to expect to be at work. And those are things that others maybe take for granted. But because we're in more of a retail environment, we always serve people. If they were in the door by 430, we would serve them. And so I love that benefit, you know, that they can see that, not only through these efficiencies and the appointments and, you know, the way we're able to serve our customers now, it's just a much different atmosphere, a much different experience. And are the customers recognizing it as well? Are you hearing those reactions and feedback, not only of the in-branch experience being more efficient, which, you know, everybody wants less wait times, but the online process, of course, everybody, pandemic, everything went online, more services online. Um, The difference, at least for someone who lives in Maryland that previously didn't necessarily have a quote unquote account Mm -hmm. with the MVA now gets to go in and set up that account. Right. Public reaction to that culture shift. Yeah, it's been it's been really good. I mean, I we want to continue. We've got about 1.2 million residents out of five, so we still have work to do in terms of getting folks signed up. But mm-hmm. what I love is, um, and I'll give you an example. Um, used to be folks would send us emails if they had a question or a concern, but we've created a process now where they go through their My MBA account, mm-hmm. um, and most folks probably understand why because when they send that email, even though we ask for specific data points, yep. if we don't know what vehicle is, if we don't you know your driver license information. Yep. It's a lot of back and forth, a lot of wasted time for the customer as well for that agent who's working on it. Um, so now you log into your account. You know, we drive you through what uh, what specific issue you're trying to get information on. The, the vehicle's already there. Your yep. license information's yep. already there. So we, we use some logic there in terms of what it might be. The interesting thing is since we started that process, depending on the month, emails are down or communication like that's down 20 25%. And at first, the first month, of course, we were all worried, you know, what, what just happened? Sure, like, sure. did we alienate these customers? And what we um, have come to realize is, no, they found the answers themselves. So by driving them to their MyMBA account, they're able to have that convenient experience at 9 o'clock at night when it comes to them, what I need to do about my vehicle registration. We're not here, obviously, couldn't answer the question, but they can find it right on their own mm-hmm. through my MBA. And so those kind of the feedback that we've gotten on those kind of things, the efficiencies that have come online, the ability of, you know, disability placards and even, mm-hmm. you know, medical issues related to driving all of that, being able to be seamlessly and securely, importantly, um, sent to us electronically yeah. and not lost in the mail, not sitting on a fax machine somewhere. Um, those are really, you know, great advancements that we've 
made even outside the branch environment. Yeah, absolutely. And I can attest to it. I've used it. I've signed up. And right. I even had to use it to request a uh, duplicate license. There you go. Because mine got misplaced. <laughs> and uh, that'll be another story for another podcast. I <laughs> realized I didn't have my license as I was checking in at National Airport. Oh, no. But oh, I still no. got to where I needed to go. Very good. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, integrating into Nimvitis fully mm-hmm. was part of the modernization as well. Were there other platforms like that where you said, okay, this is the opportunity to do these other things we've been wanting to do, mm-hmm. uh, Nimvitis being a big one in and of itself? Right. Uh, was that always originally part of the modernization roadmap, or is that also a recognition that, okay, we need to check these other boxes while we are doing this work? Um, Invitas was our always planned to be part of our modernization. We were one of the late um, implementing states just because it was challenging in that right. mainframe environment. And so now we you had were, that You commitment. were giving data. You weren't doing the check That's right. at the titling. I should say that. Right. We weren't yeah. doing that real-time check so at people titling. people could check you from other states, right. but you weren't the batch doing the updates were being during sent. your titling process. 100%. Yeah. Um, it was a huge change for us, frankly, and, um, you know, a lot of folks had already around us had implemented a while ago, so trying to figure out best practices and jog memories about yeah. how did you implement this in a way that um, didn't cause issues. We've now been through the renewal cycle, and um, we can really see the number of Vetus cases that are created have gone down significantly, which is exciting to see the cleaner data. Mm-hmm. And, um, and frankly, we've uncovered some issues yep. with the vehicles that have been stolen or had histories that their vehicle owners weren't aware of, and frankly, they had been renewing for some time. And um, so those are always difficult conversations, but important, right, sure. to the integrity of the process. Um, yeah, it was difficult but um, really happy with where we are at this point having been through that um, also just in terms of you know vehicles we, we had a lot of just freeform fields and data integrity hmm. on the vehicle side of the house was challenging again if you think about those old mainframe systems you know drop downs were a big advancement at that mm-hmm. time right and um, even things like you know insurance companies you know and banks and you know are we consistently tracking these things so as we go to things like um, electronic lien release, which yep. um, we've done um, in a mandatory way now. We had it voluntary before, but it's now mandatory. Um, and then hopefully uh, electronic titling as we move forward. Um, that information needs to be accurate. It's right. really important that we're communicating to the partners in a way that um, they can take action on. So um, that was a huge step forward for us um, on the vehicle side, in particular on the driver's side. We were already doing kind of all the electronic systems, yeah. and frankly, the data cleanup was much less there because we ha- do participate in right, all those great services that AMBA and, offers, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Exactly. So, um, and driver history record, we did wait post implementation. We just felt like that was a little too much to put on the team um, to implement, you know, a whole new system and then also put driver history record. So we gave it about six months post implementation, mm-hmm. and that's when we implemented the driver history record piece. So, still part of the overall roadmap, just more exactly. incremental. Exactly. And even mobile DL. So we built mm-hmm. it into the system, but we didn't launch it until a few months post go live. Yeah. So uh, it was intentional that way. Again, you know, that's a big enough uh, announcement and effort sure. in and of itself. So we didn't want that to be part of the initial rollout. And uh, not part of the rollout or the go live, but still part of we're going to build it to accommodate it. Exactly. It was already built into the system. Yeah. So it was really like flipping that switch and turning it on. You have but to go and restart a new project. Yeah, 
just a right. matter of when we're going to, like you say, turn on the different switches. The pieces were already there. Flip them all at once. That's right. So when we talk about flipping switches, it's a good you know segue. You know, as that as customer connect kind of comes to a project completion and it's live and you've got centralized customer information on a modern platform. You know, the conversation around modernization is shifting very quickly to say, you know, well, it's, it's as we move to this next generation, it's no longer a project mm-hmm. where they start beginning and end with a project right. sponsor. It's a environment of um, constant improvement, constant enhancement, mm-hmm. right? So how do how are you making that cultural shift away from this project that was such a big mm-hmm. focus and a huge success, right? Mm-hmm. Trailblazer winner and, yeah. you know, happy customers, happy staff, but now saying we're never going to do it that way again because it's no longer a project. That's right. And, you know, what we learned very quickly is it's great to have a system that's very robust and you can implement changes all the time. But guess what? You need to be very disciplined in that kind of environment. We used to think, you know, because we would do three major rollouts a year in our driver licensing system, and it was always a major effort. Everybody got engaged in it throughout the organization. We can now do rollouts every night if we wanted to. But what we quickly realized is we have to be thoughtful and disciplined in how we do this and not bite off too much because if we don't think about the unintended consequences, again, we're recoding the next week because something happened on either the back end or either there was another customer impact. And so we've got a whole governance model to um, look at changes that we want to make to the system or fixes that need to be made to the system. Um, We've got weekly meetings with lots of folks from all across the organization. Everybody um, makes recommendations for prioritizing these changes. And um, frankly, hard to believe since we've um, just been rolled out a few years, but we're already talking about the next version of the system, right? And that's just an ongoing conversation and it needs to be. And when I talk to the branches about it, what I explain is we don't want to be where we were before. We don't want to be in that mainframe, old, clunky environment um, and having to move forward so yeah. far. So this will be less painless. It will still be a little bit of pain maybe as, as any modernization sure. goes. But, um, you know, it, hopefully it keeps us up to date going forward. Yeah. Anything else about the project that you are particularly proud of or as others look to Maryland as lessons learned that we haven't talked about that you'd say keep – keep this in mind for your peers? Yeah, just in terms of the cultural piece, we haven't talked a lot about that, Mm -hmm. but you know, we've made organizational changes throughout. um, And I think with any organizational changes, you can't change everything all at once, but um, you've got to be really deliberate about how that happens. Frankly, some functions that we used to have don't even exist today because they were manual processes that had to be put in place that have now been automated by our new system. And so how do you talk about that for people that they don't know what their job's gonna look like going forward. So you have to be really sensitive to those issues and explain to them they still have a job, it's just a different job, and how do we prepare them for that different job? And so um, I think that's really important in terms of making sure folks are ready for the rollout. Um, I think building that team of folks who are, you know, your project team, whatever that looks like, it's a sacrifice to give people 100% of their jobs for the project. It hurt, frankly, and you're giving your best and brightest. And if you don't give your best and brightest, you're not doing the right thing and other lessons learned. Um, Even for testing and training, you got to give your good folks. If it doesn't hurt, you're not doing it the right way. But that's how you're successful, you know, from a project standpoint. 
Um, the other thing I'm really excited about is we've created this um, Office of Customer uh, Engagement, and it really um, continues to evolve. But basically, it's got all the components from a customer reaching out to us and then how we reach out to the customer. Because, you know, as we all know, those things are intricately linked to mm -hmm. each other. And so the better job we do in communicating with the customer, the less they need to reach out to us, again, empowering the so customer. So Officer of Customer Engagement yeah. is a new operation you, you stood up as a result of these these lessons. Separate from your communications arm, public affairs arms, you know, right. just an independent kind of connected to the um, customer contact centers? It is. So it has responsibility for the customer contact center. Okay. Um, it has uh, responsibility for any customer correspondence. So whether that's by email and, and social media and all those pieces. So any kind of um, what we call the reactive customer communication, right? The customer reaches out to, to us and we're providing them information. And then on the other side of that office, we have um, the proactive. So all the emails we send, the website responsibility, um, even what the offices look like and what that feels like from a customer mm. perspective. So we call that the proactive end of things, right? How do we um, communicate in a way that's more understandable to the customer, again, to benefit everybody at the end of the day? Um, so we're really excited about that, and we're um, close to adding an employee engagement manager position oh. to that team with the same idea that the more empowered the employees are, mm -hmm. you know, let's make sure we're um, communicating and, and making the employees feel great about what they do every day. It's just as important, and certainly we all try to do that in leadership, yeah. but I want somebody who all day long, that's all they're focused on. And, and yet not a traditional human resources that's right. type. Dotted activity. line to human resources, but really more about that engagement piece, right? How do they feel um, empowered? Are they getting the information they need? Do they know what's happening? You know, I hate for one of them employees to hear about something out in the public that they don't know that's happening. Yeah, Even yeah, if it's yeah. not related to their job, they should know because they're out in the community. Your, your friends are gonna yeah. ask about it, right? You wanna know as an employee what's going on. And so making sure we're, right. again, deliberate in that communication internally in the same way we are externally, I think is a huge piece. Um, we're creating a, a, a knowledge manager position who's responsible for how are we making sure all of this information we have is consistent across every platform? So it's consistent from internal procedure standpoint, it's consistent on the website, it's consistent in emails, communicated differently, but yep. that information is consistent. And when we update it, which as we know we do all the time, that position keeps that all integrated and, and updated and up to date. Updated in 17 different places. That's and right, and in different consistent. languages, and yeah. so all that good stuff. So um, that team is really um, exciting to me because it's yeah. about how do you create an organization where you're focused on the customer, the customer experience, and I think that's where we've all evolved to. Um, you know, it used to be, I think, um, motor vehicle agencies were looked at more as regulatory organizations. And I think at this point we recognize that there is a much greater role we can play mm -hmm. in terms of our states and the fact that we touch every resident in our jurisdictions. And so excited about where that takes us in the future. Excellent. Well, Chrissy, as always, thank you for yeah, the time. Uh, congratulations again on the Cheryl Blazer Award. I'll look forward to uh, being part of presenting it to you at the AIC in Madison in a few weeks. Looking forward to it. Thank all you. Right. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com 
and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.